Hello, my name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions. And I'm Proven Paradox, a guy with a lot of questions. And you're listening to Bright on Buddhism, a podcast where we discuss East Asian Buddhism, answering listener-submitted questions from listeners just like you, and introducing concepts of Buddhism that you may or may not be familiar with in a casual, conversational setting. Enjoy. Hermit, we have learned so much along the way. If you had to distill what we have learned into just a few words, what would you say? I would say that's an unreasonable question. As of today, we've had a full 50 of these discussions, and condensing them into just a few words is not something I can really do. If I must attempt an answer, it would be that there is now, and there is a desire for the continuation of now, but there is also the unavoidable end of now. But there is also the path to the end of desire, and that is the path of Buddhahood. That is an effective formulation. I would say there is the way things are now, there's the way things could be, there is the cause for how things are now, and there is a path to how things could be. That's another effective summary. I wonder what the Buddha himself says on this matter. I believe it's often dependent on who asks him. There is one teaching, but there are also many. There is one path, but there are many who walk it. There is one truth, but many ways of proposing it. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Bright on Buddhism. This week, we will be discussing the Four Noble Truths in depth. What are the Four Noble Truths? What is their role in the doctrine? How have understandings of them changed over time? We hope you enjoy. So, what are the Four Noble Truths? The Four Noble Truths are one of the most fundamental doctrines in all of Buddhism, and they're shared by almost every single school in every single branch that we've studied so far. We have been over them before, but now we've gotten into a steady rhythm of in-depth discussion of complicated topics in Buddhism, and we've built a strong foundation in it, so we should revisit these Four Noble Truths and talk about them in depth. In Sanskrit, they're called the Chatvari Arya Satyani. In Chinese, they're called the Sushungdi. In Japanese, they're known as the Shitai. This translation of the title is actually quite interpretive, and we ought to discuss it before we get into what they are. When we say Four Noble Truths, we have multiple ways of parsing out that translation. One way is to say that noble is an adjective that modifies the word truth. That is to say that the truths themselves are regarded as noble. This would refer to their spiritual significance and their meaning and depth, especially with regards to the Buddhist doctrine. This is a valid interpretation, as monastics in all branches of Buddhism meditate and study these truths and their implications all the time at all levels of advancement and understanding, so it's really not an incorrect way to call these truths. The other way of interpreting the translation is to interpret the word noble as a noun modifying the noun truths. In this interpretation, these can be called the four truths for nobles, or nobility. This is an equally prevalent interpretation. If we discuss the meaning of this one for a moment, we see that this implies that these four truths are only for noble beings. Now, what makes these beings noble as opposed to everybody else? In this case, it's their spiritual advancement. The nobility that we're referring to is not really referring to, like, feudal nobles who preside over peasants and are landowners and such. 
It actually refers to arhats and everybody above them, namely bodhisattvas, pratyeka buddhas, and fully realized buddhas. This is sort of the barrier of entry for these truths. You have to, at minimum, take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha in order for these truths to really apply to you. If you reject those things, then these truths are not really addressing your situation. To put it in another way, you have to think of Buddhism and of the doctrines of Buddhism as being worth your time before you can be expected to believe what these truths have to say and understand how they mean for the doctrine. That is not to say that this is a closed or initiatory religion. It's to say that if you think to yourself, Buddhists are wrong about everything, then these truths are just really not for you. These four truths come up in the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, known as the First Sermon, which we've read and discussed. But they're also in tons of other texts in several different forms because they're so ubiquitous and so fundamental to the Buddhist doctrine. Moving on to the truths themselves, they are the following. 1. Dukkha which we translate as suffering, unsatisfactoriness, or anxiety. 2. Samudaya, which we translate as origin, arising, or cause. 3. Naroda, which we translate as cessation, or ending. 4. Magga, which we translate as path, referring to the Eightfold Path. Each truth is just one word, but we add more to them in teaching them to refer to what they're actually specifically saying. The first noble truth is that dukkha is a condition of samsara, the cycle of birth and rebirth. The second truth is that suffering has a cause or has an origin, a samudaya, and this origin is known as tanha, or desire, attachment, or thirst. The third noble truth is that there is a cessation of dukkha. It is the renunciation or confinement of tanha, the fourth noble truth says that the cessation of dukkha, and thus the confinement or the renunciation of tanha, is through practice of the Eightfold Path, which allows us to eliminate dukkha entirely. These four truths are the complete and comprehensive boiling down of all Buddhist understanding. They succinctly present the problem, the cause of the problem, and the solution to the problem. There are hardly any other religious orientations out there that are so simple as this. That is not to say that there is not a specific interpretation of these truths within Buddhism, and there is one that we will discuss, but it is simply saying that there are few other traditions out there which can boil it down just into four words like this. What is their role in the doctrine? Each of these four truths has an action item. That is to say, there is a prescription about what we ought to do with those truths. The first truth is to be known or to be understood. The second is to be terminated. The third is to be witnessed, and the fourth is to be cultivated. Referring to the first truth, Buddhism is extremely concerned with understanding reality exactly as it is at every level of understanding. The most basic kinds of Buddhist meditation are literally nothing other than doing something, like breathing or sitting, and knowing that you are, in that moment, breathing or sitting. In the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, the sutra on the establishment of mindfulness, which we've read and discussed, the entire task laid out for the meditator is to know what they are doing and how they are doing it while they practice. This is cultivating the mind to be able to understand all of reality exactly as it unfolds, starting with just your own physical body. Buddhism has a specific argument for what the nature of reality actually is. It is dependent arising, it's suffering, it is the five skandhas, it's emptiness, and it's impermanence. This ought to be known to the fullest, and the first step to knowing these more subtle and complicated truths, like emptiness for example, 
is to know suffering because that is the very closest to our own daily experience. We feel good and bad throughout our lives. It's the most basic and widely verifiable diagnosis of experience to say sometimes life is good, bad, or neutral. The Buddha has a specific argument for where these feelings come from. These feelings come from desire for all good and no bad. In all things, we avoid pain and seek pleasure, but these things are inherently impossible to fulfill and satisfy. There can be no life that is only pleasure without any pain at all. Pleasure and pain are then unsatisfactory because of desire. This truth is to be terminated. Speaking specifically, the cause of dukkha is to be terminated. The action item for the second truth is thus to terminate tanha, which is the cause of dukkha. Is this all inescapable? Are we stuck? Is everything bad? No, we're not, and no, it isn't. Dukkha has an end. That's the third noble truth. If impermanence applies to feelings of pleasure and pain, so too does it apply to dukkha itself. This end ought to be witnessed. This is how practitioners in Buddhism cultivate trust or faith, known as shraddha in Sanskrit. Shraddha is very technically not blind faith. Rather, it's faith based on witnessing. For example, all of us have only ever seen 2 plus 2 equals 4. We have not seen any other outcome of that math. Because we have invariably witnessed 2 plus 2 equals 4, we have faith or trust that when we put two items together with two other items, there will be four items. How can we believe that this is how everything works without ever actually seeing it work this way? In Buddhism, we can't. There is no blind faith. There is only faith based on evidence that you have witnessed yourself. Thus, the action item says we ought to witness others, like Arhats, Pracheka Buddhas, and Bodhisattvas, and fully realized Buddhas, end their own suffering and the suffering of others. The fourth truth tells us how they end their suffering, and the accompanying action item tells us what we ought to do to end our own suffering. The fourth truth is that the end of suffering is by means of the Eightfold Path. And the fourth action item is that we ought to cultivate this Eightfold Path in ourselves and our own lives. This Eightfold Path is a breakdown of different domains in our lives which ought to be optimized or oriented in a particular direction. These eight domains, as we've talked about before, they fall into three categories. They are moral cultivations, meditative cultivations, and cultivations of insight. The moral ones are right speech, right action, and right livelihood. The meditative ones are right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. The cultivations of wisdom, or insight, are right view and right resolve. Buddhism has a specific argument for what constitutes right in each of these formulations, but this is still a complete and brief distillation of the teaching. In addition to these action items, the first sermon proposes three stages of understanding for each of the four truths, for a total of twelve realizations. The three stages of understanding for each truth are Saka Nana, knowing the nature of the truth, Kicha Nana, knowing what needs to be done in connection with that truth, Kata Nana, accomplishing what needs to be done after you've known what needs to be done. These are highly emphasized in the Theravada tradition. The argument here is that if the Four Noble Truths are understood according to these stages and the accompanying action items, then one's rebirth in samsara will be ended, and the practitioner will reach enlightenment. It's interesting to me that now that we're going back over something that was more fundamental after developing more background knowledge and understanding of Buddhism, it seems like we've gone back to a very simplified 
understanding of all of the doctrine that we've been reading, like all of it comes back to these four truths. And now that we know more about Buddhism, these four truths seem simpler than when we first started. And that's an interesting inversion of how I would expect this conversation to go. I agree completely. I think that now that we have that foundation, which is what a lot of practitioners of Buddhism in their early stages in their own education would get, now that we have that, it's easier to trace a straight line from the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta to these really complicated doctrines like emptiness or like these Mahayana doctrines that we've discussed, such that they all really connect together and really fit in kind of a linear or semi-linear argument from A to B. And this argument, of course, is what one ought to do in their lives for whatever reason, what one ought to do to end their own suffering, to end the suffering of others, to attain better rebirth, what one ought to do just for the sake of doing. All of these things are covered by this argument that is internally coherent for the most part from these four noble truths all the way to the more complicated topics that we've discussed. All right. So let's talk, like you mentioned, the Mahayana experience of this. Let's talk a little about that. So how have the understandings of the four noble truths changed over time? As we have discussed all of this, a question that ought to be burning in the back of your mind is, what about the Heart Sutra? The Heart Sutra, which we've read and discussed, is a dialogue between Avalokiteshvara and Shariputra, and it contains a famous emptying out of the basic doctrines in favor of emptiness. Avalokiteshvara says to Shariputra, There is no ignorance, and no end to ignorance. There is no old age and death. There is no end to old age and death. There is no suffering, no cause of suffering, no end to suffering, no path to follow. There is no attainment of wisdom, and no wisdom to attain. This is an example of how the doctrine of the Four Noble Truths has changed starkly since the life of the Buddha, and we ought to explain it here. In the Theravada traditions, the Four Noble Truths are treated as the most basic and fundamental doctrine of Buddhism. There is nothing in Buddhism that is not encompassed by these truths. However, there are two historical developments in Mahayana Buddhism which are important to note to understand why it looks like it does in the Heart Sutra. The first is that there is a continuous critique of Theravada Buddhism's emphasis and reliance on the difficult path, or the path that requires one to attain enlightenment and omniscience just for themselves by attaining correct understanding of every single thing in reality. This path takes three Mahakalpas, which is a symbolic way of saying it takes forever, and it is actually unnecessary according to the doctrine of emptiness. If all things are indeed empty, then why rely so hard on the matrices proposed by these earlier texts? Why engage in constant dharma analysis? Emptiness is the key to attain correct understanding of everything in reality from the top down, and given that it's the easier path, it allows more of us to pursue the path of the bodhisattva, whose goal is to save all sentient beings instead of just themselves. This path comes to be emphasized over the path of the arhat in Mahayana Buddhism, based on this Mahayana argument that I've just provided, so we see these Four Noble Truths get subsumed with regards to importance of the doctrine under emptiness. This is a critique of the attachment and over-reliance on the textual matrix as a means of attaining enlightenment, and proposes instead to prioritize what the Mahayana thinkers believe to be the spirit of the teaching and the universal nature of the teaching. 
Many Mahayana texts take this perspective. For example, the Lotus Sutra argues that the Four Noble Truths are not incorrect, but they are early, simple, and crude iterations of the Buddha's teaching, and that the Lotus teaching is the highest and most refined teaching. Now, we've only read one chapter of the Lotus Sutra together so far, but just from that chapter alone, I'm hoping that it's obvious that it's actually up for debate what the actual Lotus teaching is. So, that's an important point to keep in mind in these Mahayana traditions is that when they prioritize their own specific teachings in each school, whether it's the Lotus Sutra school or the Kagon or Huayan school, you have to understand that it's up for debate what that teaching actually is. Huayan or Kagon Buddhists actually also argue the same thing as the Lotus Sutra Buddhists, but the highest teaching that they regard is actually the teaching in the Avatamsaka Sutra instead of the Lotus Sutra. The Avatamsaka Sutra is actually a lot longer and a lot more difficult to make sense of. It's not really as intelligible even as the Lotus Sutra, and that's saying something. So the teaching of that sutra is also a subject of hot debate among scholars and also among Buddhists themselves. Then, of course, the esoteric or Shingon Buddhists believe that this is all the case except that the Tantras contain the highest teachings. Thus, we can see a variety of engagements with the Four Noble Truths and just with the early teachings in general. No school of Buddhism out there expressly rejects these Four Noble Truths or discounts their validity in terms of understanding what the Buddhist orientation is, but Mahayana and Vajrayana schools tend to de-emphasize them as a quick and effective means of attaining enlightenment, because they only open the door to this Dharma analysis that we've talked about, this attempt to come to a correct understanding of everything in reality, just in a linear, discrete, first thing, second thing, third thing way. And they emphasize emptiness, or they emphasize faith, or they emphasize chanting and ritual and non-duality as being superior ways to, like I said, experience and understand reality from the top down, rather than from the bottom up. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of the Four Noble Truths. Join us next week, where we will discuss the Buddhist doctrines around food. How does Buddhist doctrine view food? Is veganism or vegetarianism a requirement? What is the typical Buddhist diet? We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. See you next time. My name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions and voice of hearer. And I'm Docs, editor, question asker, and voice of hermit. And this has meant Bright on Buddhism. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, or if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a comment or review, subscribing, or joining us on social media. Email us at bright.on.buddhism at gmail.com, or find us on Mastodon at brightbuddhism at mstdn.party. As always, citations and resources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you.